everyone, and uh, welcome to the third week of our Imperfect Family series. You'll remember that in week one of the series, way, way back, Pastor Graham, he got us thinking about how God works through faithful people from imperfect families so that all of us imperfect families can actually be assured that God still uses us. Is that good news to you? It is to me. I'm glad about that means that there's hope. And then last week, uh, Mother's Day, we heard from the Reverend Rebecca Perry, who uh, who challenged us to consider the godly legacy that we can leave after we're gone. Next week, Pastor Tim is going to share a message and continue on in this series on the imperfect family. And then the week after that, May the 29th, you're not going to want to miss this week. It's going to be really great because it's going to be Uh, a very, very special family service with intergenerational components to it. The message will be preached by our very own Pastor Liz Hoyt. That'll be great. And, uh, And it's going to be a chance for families to come to church together. Won't that be great? I think it'll be awesome. I think that's going to be good. So you're not going to want to miss this unique, interactive service All right, church, are you ready? You ready? Okay, grab your Bibles and open up to to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I grew up in in a middle-class family just outside of Ottawa in a tiny little town called North Gore, population about 1,500. My uh, my dad, he worked in the elevator trade as an elevator electrician, technician, And my mom, though she was trained as a nurse, she worked as a teacher's aide in our local elementary school in that small little town. We had a modest three-bedroom home. We had a dog named Shady. And we lived beside a big dairy farm with all of its animals and all of its unique smells. Can any of you relate to that? I would say, looking back on my particular upbringing, that we had a comfortable upbringing. We were comfortably middle class, but still ordinary country folk. That's who we were. It's important for you to know this because I want you to imagine with me now, imagine me on a yacht of a millionaire in Florida, and I'm a young man, and uh, I'm fresh out of university. And I've been invited by a college president to join him to visit with a potential donor and his wife, this yacht-owning family couple that's worth literally millions of dollars. And so I'm, I'm walking around on this yacht, and I'm trying not to look too out of place. And this piece of art, it, it catches my eye. It's an idyllic garden. And I think that I recognize the saturated pastel colors and the glowing highlights as typical of the popularized artist Thomas Kincaid. Some of you are familiar with him. But shockingly, there are real brushstrokes on this art. And there's a real Thomas Kincaid signature. And I can't help myself before I think ordinary country folk guy that I am, I say, is this 
a real Thomas Kincaid. Uh, my wealthy host looks at me rather incredulously <laughs> and says, Mike, do you really think that I would have a cheap Kincaid print on my $3 million yacht? <laughs> uh, you can imagine the shade of red I turned, the, uh, the embarrassment that I felt at being exposed as the middle class, country guy that I really am. <laughs> According to some estimates, Kincaid's art adorns roughly 10 million homes in North America. Regular prints and copies of this common art usually retail for between $40 and $200. Some of us like prints, and some of us like copies, because for most of us, that's all we can afford. You see, when we're accustomed to the print, it's easy to assume that the print is the real thing. But then, when we're presented with the real thing, the real Kincaid, for which some collectors have paid up to $150,000, we're forced to recognize its value. You know, church, when it, uh, when it comes to our families and our relationships, I wonder sometimes if we don't sometimes settle for cheap prints when, in fact, God has a rich storehouse of original masterpieces that he actually wants to give us. Maybe we look around at what other families are doing. what other families have. And we fail to take into account the riches that are actually offered to us in Christ. But maybe the truth is we can actually afford so much more. And so today what I want us to do is I want us to focus in on one relational value, just one, that I believe is part of God's rich storehouse of blessing for our family. And uh, we're going to find out more about this relational value by looking at a very well-known passage in Philippians chapter 2. I have asked Mrs. Georgina Hayes to come up and share this particular passage. A woman of character who, uh, who gracefully embodies... Uh, this particular value. Georgina, would you read for us Philippians chapter 2? Thank you, Mike. I will. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if, ender, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset 
as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. 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 Thank you, Georgina. There's a challenge there in, in verse 4. I want you to look at it with me. The challenge is this. It's to not look to our own interests, it says there in most translations, but to the interests of others. Now, in most English translations, there's a filler word there. The word often is interests. But we miss something in the English. You see, in the original language, that word there, that space there, it was open-ended and unspecified. It was more like saying, don't look to your own fill-in-the-blank, but to the fill-in-the-blank of others. And so it could be read like this. Let each of you not only look to your own health, or your own education, or your own finances, or your own resources, or your own family, or your own happiness. Don't just look to those things. Don't just make plans concerning those things. But look to the health, and look to the education, and look to the finances, and the resources, and the family, and the happiness, of others. The idea here is that we make the good of others our goal. And so it beckons the question, what does that look like among imperfect families? When we're watching the ball game this afternoon and our kids say, Dad, would you come out and play with me? <laughs> Dad's Philippians chapter 2, it does not really give us an excuse to think about how tired we are. You see, dads, this passage that we just read, it calls us to a higher, richer way. Where we put our child's interests before the pleasures of our own relaxation. Can I say it? That's really hard. That's really, really hard. So, so how do we live this out consistently? Well, I think that there's a key there in verse 3 of what Georgina just read. Take a look at that. It says there in verse 3, value others above yourselves. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and intuitively, you're thinking, well, Mike, how exactly does that work? 
Am I just supposed to think of others better than me? But what if I'm actually better? <laughs> Let me illustrate uh, this using Christy and me as, uh, as an example. My wife, Christy, some of you know her. She's great. She's awesome. And in reality, there are many things that Christy does where she is just better than me. For example, Christy is a much better and faster reader than I am. And Christy is much smarter than I am. She is. She just is. She aced her way through university and school. She copy-edited my PhD thesis. This is a true story. And Christy can cook better than me. And, and, and here's one that you may not know about my wife. Christy can wrestle. Like Greco-Roman wrestling. She, she grew up in, in Pennsylvania where her dad wrestled and, and her cousins wrestled and her brother wrestled. And let me tell you, she knows all the moves. She knows them all. She can, she can twist me up like a pretzel and have me crying like a baby in a moment's note. This is true. That's my wife, yep. See, there's no way that Christy is going to ever consider me better than her at some things. So does this, does this verse value others above yourself? Does it suggest otherwise? No. And, and to suggest that, I think, is to completely miss the point of the verse. See, the point isn't what others are. The point is how we value others. See, the focus here isn't on how others read or do math or perform takedowns or pins. No. The focus, it's not on what other people's skills or traits are. Notice the emphasis is on our willingness to value another person. And catch this, it's not based on their worth here. It's based on our willingness to count them worthy. And so the question is, regardless of Christie's or my talents, will I humbly value and serve my wife? And will I take thought, not just on my own interests, but hers? Will I take time to encourage her and help her and build her up. Do you see it? There's another clue in this verse about how this commitment to others lives out. It's also in verse 3. It says, in humility, value others above yourselves. I want you to think about it for a moment. Humility isn't a word that we hear a whole lot about these days, is it? The dictionary will tell us that it means lowliness. It's the opposite of a sense of of entitlement. It's the opposite of the idea that someone owes you something. Here's the thought. I think, as Christians, that we should actually have special insight into this whole humility thing. Why? Georgina just read it to us. Why? Because we know, friends, as Christians, and we understand that Jesus Christ loved us and died for us 
and forgave, accepted, and justified us and gave us eternal life and made us heirs of this world when he really owed us nothing. And yet he treated us as worthy of his service when we weren't worthy of his service. And when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he died, he took greater thought for the Father's will and our best interests over his own life. And when you think about God's grace that is extended to us, it's there in that place, friends. That's where we find the basis for this whole humility thing. Great hymn writer Isaac Watts, he gave us these words, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for sins that I have done, he suffered on that tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Let me ask this morning, when was the last time you felt overwhelmed by God's grace like that? If it's recent, then I believe you have grasped the lowliness of true humility. And this, friends, is the attitude that we need to take to live life together. Yes, life in imperfect families and relationships. The mindset of Christ Jesus as the very marking of our family relationships. Now, sitting here, having uh, sung the songs that we just sang about the love and grace of Christ and having looked here for the last few minutes at this particular passage about the mindset of Christ and his example of humility, I have to say, it all seems so right, doesn't it? <laughs> it seems right. But I also have to tell you this morning that from my own experience, I have found that living this out is difficult, isn't it? It's awkward. It's tough. Sort of like peeling back an onion. You think you've, you've, you've peeled back that final layer only to discover that there's a whole bunch more layers actually underneath. You see, cultivating humility in our lives and in our families' lives, it requires some hard choices made day after day that reflect this character-building essential. And so I want to make this as, as practical as I possibly can in the few minutes that we have left. And I want us to quickly, very quickly, look at five really down-to-earth ways that we can actually cultivate humility in our lives and in our church community. Does that sound okay to you? Just nod if you're still with us. Good, good. Here it goes. First one is this. Ask God for help. <laughs> Ask God for help. Yes, it sounds so remarkably obvious. But if you're here this morning and you want to develop the identity and the attitude and the actions that are appropriate for a life of humility, 
You need to ask God for help. You need to ask God for help. So do you want to be humble here this morning? If you do, ask God to make you humble. (laughs) Plain and simple, friends. We need to talk to God. We need to listen for God. And not just here, but beyond the walls of this place. If we want to learn more about humility, we've got to ask. Instinctively, you know this, of course. You know this. When, uh, when an actor or an actress uh, prepares for a movie that, that focuses on real-life events, and, and the individual that they're actually portraying is still alive, what do they do? Well, the good actors and, and the good actresses, they go and they actually meet that person, don't they? And, and they spend time with them, and they ask them, all sorts of questions. They don't just read the script. They form a relationship. Recently, uh, I heard about the actor Will Smith. Many of you had, are fans of Will Smith. He was preparing uh, recently for the movie Concussion. How many of you have seen this movie, Concussion? A few of you? Good, good. Interesting movie. Smith plays Dr. Ben Amalu the doctor who discovered the brain-damaged conditions associated with blows to the head of NFL football players. You see, Smith, he, he didn't just read the movie script. He didn't just read articles about Dr. Amalu. He spent time with Dr. Amalu. He even sat in, apparently, on four autopsies performed by the doctor. Friends, Our Christian life is about a relationship with God. We spend time with God. We talk to God. And often the first step towards character formation is asking for God's help to change us. Here's another practical way to cultivate humility in our lives. We pick up our Bibles and we take some time to read through stories of pride, of examples, prideful, selfish, greedy, and self-righteous characters like Nabal and Miriam and Aaron and Haman and Ahab and Balaam. We read about the Pharisees and even at times the self-promoting disciples and we recognize those sinful thoughts and actions for what they actually are. The ones that suggest, I'm more important than you because of who I am. I deserve more. I'm faultless. I know everything. (laughs) And we learn from those foolish examples. And then, being honest with ourselves, we identify our own similar weakness and we ask God to forgive us and give us something new. We meditate on what God's word says about pride and about humility. How do we develop humility in our homes and our churches? Here's another one. The next time that you receive a compliment or get acknowledged for something in some way, give credit to God. Here's the thing. It doesn't even have to be out loud. You can say thank you or you can say that's so kind to whomever it is that's giving you a compliment, but in your mind... You can actually say, thank you, God. 
thank you, God. You gave me whatever skill or, or trait that is being positively recognized. You gave me this. It's you, God. It's you. Parents, you can, you can practice this with your kids too, can't you? Teaching them that, that any success that they have is really and truly sourced in God's good gifts. It was the author, Alex Haley, the renowned author of the novel Roots, who was said to have had a picture of a turtle on a fence post in his office. Maybe some of you have heard this before. The, uh, the picture, apparently, was to remind him of a very, very simple truth. The truth is this. Anytime you see a turtle up on top of a fence post, you know he had some help. Right? Church, our successes are shared successes. We're nothing without God. We're nothing without each other and so friends whenever we're tempted to think wow look at me wow look at look at what i've done it's incredible what i've done remember turtles on fence posts and consider how we got to where we are how else do we foster humility you're listening well stay with us Church, we refuse to make excuses. excuses. Uh, instinctively, our kids learn this at a very, very early age, don't they? They learn to make uh, excuses very, very young. They're good at excuses. I remember once when, uh, when our kids were younger, uh, Christy found one of the windows smudged in our house with all kinds of uh, grimy fingerprints, kid-sized fingerprints on them. I know your house doesn't have any of those, but mine, mine did. And as she surveyed the scene, sure enough, it was three-year-old Ethan who came walking along beside her, and she, she looked down, and, and she asked our cute little Ukrainian son, she said, Ethan, how do you suppose those prints got on those windows? Ethan, without missing a beat, he replied, I think it must have been the lion." In our family, we, uh, we still joke about pesky lions <laughs> who visit our house unannounced and put prints all over the place. Friends, cultivating humility means refusing to make excuses. What does that look like? Practically, it means confessing mistakes, oversights, indiscretions, when we're late for meetings because we didn't manage our time well, it means we don't blame red lights or other drivers or whatever. It means being willing to say, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. It means being willing to bear criticism and to learn from it and refusing to make excuses. One more and then we're done. Finally, how do we build humility we thank god for our weaknesses did you catch that we thank god for our weaknesses here's a challenge for you the next time you feel dumb or slow 
or old or weak or incapable. Stop for a moment and thank God. Consider this. Maybe, just maybe, God is already answering your prayer for resisting pride. See, friends, every day we are provided with moments to recognize our weakness, to identify with the lowly, and yes, to cultivate humility. The Apostle Paul, he set us this great example in his letter to the church at Colossae in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. He says, if I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Chapter later, he'll say this. He'll say, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, finish it, then I am strong. Then I am strong. One of the ways that uh, we might be able to, uh, to picture this is, uh, is with a balloon. See, I, I can hold a balloon... And, and, and I can reach up as, as, as high as I can. But that's the limit, right? That's as high as I can get this particular balloon. Maybe if I go on my tiptoes, I can go a little bit higher. But that's my limit. Beyond that is my weaknesses. Beyond that is what I cannot. But friends, that is not the limit. That is not the limit. I can let go, and I can let God do more, right? Hopefully it doesn't pop when it gets to the top. How'd we do? I think we're good. Illustration still stands. Good. Maybe you never thought about this before, but we can praise God for our limitations. We can praise God for our weaknesses. Why? Because when we're humble and when we're weak and frankly when we're sick when we let go we're actually stronger. We're actually stronger. So there you have it church. Five practical ideas that can help us exercise the gift of humility. How do we cultivate humility in our homes and in our families? We ask God for humility. We, we read examples that teach us. We uh, take uh, time to give God credit. We refuse to make excuses. And we thank God for our weaknesses. Listen, I know that humility doesn't come easy. But friends, it's worth the heavy lifting, isn't it? Husbands and wives... Humility helps us appreciate each other's differences. Grandparents, humility seeks to understand before wanting to be understood. Teenagers, humility deflates pride and inflates patience. Singles, widows, worship, or wi widowers, worshiping widowers. Humility keeps us in a right relationship with God and others. Do you remember when uh, you, were, you were very little? Maybe you were uh, five, or, uh, five or six years old, and you had one shiny dollar. Maybe it was a silver dollar 
or if you're younger, maybe it was a loony in, in your pocket. And, and, and man, you were so, so proud of this silver dollar or, or this loony, this, this one coin. But then some older, craftier sibling, maybe it was a cousin came along and, and offered you, man, a whole bunch of coins for your one dollar, right? Man, jackpot. You thought you'd hit the jackpot. You couldn't believe it. You'd give all of that for this. And impulsively and hastily, you traded it immediately. But when you felt in your pocket and you felt that 27 cents in nickels and, and quarters maybe, but mostly pennies, without even realizing it, you were actually poor. You were actually poor. Friends, when you leave here this morning in just a few moments, you will walk back out into a world that offers you success and power and self-promotion and position and self-confidence and boastfulness and greed and arrogance and the like. And at times, those things look so shiny. They look like the real Kincaid. They might feel really good in your pocket and in your hand. But I believe this morning, friends, that God has reminded us really simply about something of greater value. Something that will truly enrich our imperfect families and our relationships. Friends, God wants to give us humility. God wants to, us to practice humility. As Georgina just read, in our relationships with one another, God wants us to have the mind of Christ. And so you have a choice as you leave here this morning, which will you choose today, and tomorrow, and each day, on the long but entirely satisfying road of your spiritual formation. Be humble. Let's stand this morning as Pastor Mark and his team lead us in song.